Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by Micah Bosworth, who pastors Ridgepoint Baptist Church in Wenatchee, Washington. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to begin reading in verse 21. Begin reading in verse 21. And I want to tonight just talk a little bit about um, what, what is great faith and how can we have great faith. And we're going to look into uh, a lady in scripture that Jesus said she had great faith and, uh, and get some principles about what really is great faith. Sometimes I feel like we have it a little skewed uh, in, in just the magnitude side of great when we think of that. And, uh, and yet great faith is really actually just very simple faith. And uh, I want to look at that tonight. So Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21. If you are uh, willing and able, would you stand with me just as we read God's word tonight? Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. And we'll read to verse 28. The Bible says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Let's go ahead and pray, ask God to bless this time, and then we'll dive right into the message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for, uh, again, for your love, as we've heard it sung about. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much that even at our worst, when we were yet sinners, you demonstrated your love by dying on the cross. Thank you so much for that truth, and Lord, we pray that that would motivate us each and every day to live for you. God, I pray that now as we look into your word, you'd speak to us in a great way. I pray that you would uh, help us to take something that we can apply uh, to live more uh, for you tomorrow as we wake up and go uh, into our job place, our workplace, and uh, Lord, into our families. We pray that you would give us something today uh, that would just strengthen our faith in you and would help us to move forward for you. God, I pray that you would uh, just be with my thoughts, uh, help me to uh, have clarity as I speak, and I pray, Lord, that Everything that's said would be exactly what you would have us to hear tonight. We pray this on Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I just want to start by asking the question, what comes to your mind when you hear those words, great faith? What comes to your mind when you hear those words, great faith? Uh, for some, it might be a parent. Maybe a parent that you've seen a display great faith, uh, that they've just been faithful through hard times and you've seen their faith in the Lord. Maybe it's 
uh, maybe it's a pastor or a, a missionary. I think of many of the stories that I grew up listening uh, to and hearing of, of like David Livingston and Jonathan Goforth and William Carey. I mean, William Carey's the guy who said, uh, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Uh, and, and so uh, someone who can say something like that definitely uh, exhibited faith in their life as they went to the foreign mission field. Uh, but what, what might come into your mind when you hear the words great faith? Well, uh, I, I want to kind of break down each of those words first to, to see just what it is. And then, and then I want to uh, see from this woman how we can have great faith. But let's look at the first, the most obvious word, which is faith. Okay, so what is faith? Well, at, at its most simple context, at its most basic breakdown, faith is trusting in something or someone. That's what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So from uh, Hebrews 11, it, faith is is a confidence in things that we hope for, uh, like the return of Christ. Uh, the, the, it's, a, it's a blessed hope. It's, it's a, a true hope. It's not just, oh, I hope it happens. It's a confidence in a hope that we have. Uh, and then it says it's, it's certainty, it's evidence of things that we can't even see. Uh, we, we have faith in things that we can't even see. So that would be what faith is, basically uh, breaking down to trusting in things that sometimes we can't even see. Uh, now, what about that word great? Uh, oftentimes when we hear that word, we think of something magnanimous, like something huge, right? Something, uh, we think of the magnitude in, in those terms. If something is great as opposed to small, right? That's what we kind of think of when we hear the word great. Uh, but another definition of, of the Greek word actually translated great in our passage, uh, it means this a thing to be highly esteemed for its excellence. A thing that would be highly esteemed for its excellence, which looking at the context of the passage seems to be what Jesus was getting at because he proclaimed before all of the, right in front of all of the disciples that she had great faith. And in a way, Christ was saying, I want to highly esteem this woman's trust in what she believes I can do even though she's never seen me do it. And in fact, she wouldn't actually technically ever see him do it. Uh, She would get the word from him that he performed the miracle, and then she wouldn't witness the product of the miracle until she went back and saw her daughter. But something about this woman's approach caused Jesus, God himself in the flesh, to say that this woman had great faith. I believe there are three principles from her faith that we can apply to our daily living by faith. Uh, because that's what we're supposed to do. The Bible says the just shall live by faith, right? And so uh, I, I want us to look at some principles from her uh, on how we can do just that, live by faith. But before we get into those, uh, here are just some of my first observations about this woman. In reading the text, as I was going through, uh, here are just some of my observations. The first one is this. She's not Jewish. She's not Jewish. I, I, I noticed that right off, and our passage tells us she was from Canaan. Mark's account of this story in Mark chapter 7 gives us the name that most people call her by, which is the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, The Syrophoenicians, they were descendants of the Canaanites, the ones who lived in the promised land before Israel came to take it. And and so she wasn't a Jew, she was a Gentile. Well, why is this important? Because Jesus' primary ministry was not to the Gentiles. Uh, And we'll see that in just a minute, uh, that he specifically even said that, but uh, his primary ministry was to the Jews. 
And in fact, I, I think it's interesting. This woman calls Jesus, uh, thou son of David, thou son of David. That, that was a Jewish messianic title. So here is a Canaanite that is coming to Jesus based on his Jewish Messiah name. Um, the preconception of the disciples uh, would be that Messiah would come to free the Jews and that he wasn't here for the Gentile, but for the Jews only. And so for this woman to somehow say, I am included as a Canaanite woman in the benefits that a Jewish Messiah could offer would be a little confusing to the disciples because Jesus' ministry was to the Jews. And in this passage, Jesus makes that pretty clear. Now, he, he did that, and he says the things that he does to, valid, to validate to his disciples that he is on mission to his own people. However, every miracle that Jesus did was to teach his disciples something. And I believe uh, in this particular miracle, it takes place to show the disciples that although Jesus' primary ministry is to the Jews, he is available to all who will come to him in faith. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thankful for that truth. The gospel was to the Jews first. We see that in the pattern of Jesus' ministry and even in the writings of the apostles when they say things like to the Jew first. Uh, but I'm so thankful the gospel plan of Christ didn't stop there. It says to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Jesus said in Acts chapter one uh, that his disciples would be witnesses to him first in Jerusalem and in Judea to the Jews. And then he starts to widen uh, the call. He says, uh, then to Samaria. And eventually he gets to the part where he says, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's us. That's us. Aren't you thankful for that? I, come on now. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm going to have to park it here for a little while if we're not. <laughs> Put some change in this meter. No, but we're, uh, we're going to. That, that's something I am thankful for, is, is the fact that God's plan wasn't just for the Jews. It was for everyone. It was for us. It reached to us. Uh, now, uh, so I noticed she's not Jewish, but she still gets a little bit of the benefits of the Jewish Messiah. The Jewish Messiah. Another thing that I noticed uh, is she's not one of the disciples. And you're like, well, Micah, that's an obvious one. Like, why would you even bring that up? Because to me... If anyone in the story of the Gospels should have been able to display great faith, it should have been the disciples, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, by this point in their journey with Jesus, they had already seen Jesus calm a storm with his words. They'd already seen Jesus heal the maniacs of Gadara. They, They saw the woman with the issue of blood be healed just by touching the hem of Christ's garment. They saw blind men begin to see. They, they saw Jairus' daughter raised to life. They experienced the feeding of the 5,000. They saw Jesus walking on the water and Peter doing so as well for a time. And, and through the rest of their journey with Christ, they would see many more miracles and hear Jesus teach all about faith. And yet, between all of the disciples, we don't see any of them commended for having great faith. In fact, amidst these 12 men was one who had no faith. He would, he would see all of these miracles. He would hear all of the teachings, and yet he would still die without, knowing, without having faith in Christ. I heard a pastor friend recently illustrate this man this way. Uh, he was preaching, started off his message, and he just said, I want to talk about somebody who lived 2,000 years ago. His story is told in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He was predicted in the Old Testament, but his ministry is in the New Testament. 
He only publicly ministered for three years. He went, uh, he went about doing good. He traveled with 12 other men. He did miracles and preached the gospel of the kingdom. He died a violent death outside of the city of Jerusalem. His name begins with a J, ends with an S. His name's only five letters long. And of course I'm talking about, and everyone in the room yells out, Jesus! And yet he was talking about Judas. A man whose story was predicted in the Old Testament. A man whose story is unveiled in the New Testament, in the Gospels. He, he had a three-year public ministry. He went about doing good. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. He did miracles. He died a violent death outside of the city of Jerusalem. His name starts with a J, ends with an S, a name that's only five letters long. Someone who is so much like Jesus that when described this way could be mistaken for Jesus. And yet he was unsaved. He had no faith in Christ. That's shocking. But, I mean, in, I, I believe in churches today, there are people who are sitting among churches that they look exactly like Christ. They, they have it on the outside, but there's no faith on the inside, just like Judas. So among these 12, there, there was one with no faith. And the rest of them were told several times they had little faith, <laughs> had little faith. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, when they're in the storm and Jesus is sleeping in the boat, Jesus, before calming a storm, looks to them and says, O ye of little faith. In Matthew 14, when Peter, while walking on the water, took his eyes off of Jesus and started to sink, Jesus took his hand and asked, Why did you doubt, O ye of little faith? In Matthew 16, the next chapter following our passage tonight, the disciples don't understand what Jesus is trying to tell him. He, or tell them he's trying to explain to them in the picture of the leaven in bread uh, about the Pharisees and, and uh, their, their pious religion. And uh, they hear leaven and uh, they think he's upset that they forgot to grab bread before getting in the boat. <laughs> their minds were just never on the spiritual aspect of what Jesus was trying to teach. And because of it, Jesus looked at them and said, O ye of little faith. I... I bring all this up to show that sometimes the greatest faith comes from the most unlikely of sources. She wasn't someone who I would think should have been able to display great faith, and yet she did. Which, which brings me to another observation, and that is this. She's not the only one in Scripture who Jesus commends for great faith. The other one is the centurion. Uh, both of these people with great faith, uh, they were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. The Bible tells us that Jesus marveled at Nazareth, his hometown, his own people. He marveled at them for their unbelief. And yet we see that at times the Gentiles who were not yet grafted into Jesus's plan had greater faith than the ones he was coming to minister to. So uh, with this woman being an unlikely source for great faith, okay, what made her faith so great? I believe we can see three things tonight about her faith, what she did that we can learn from and see how we too can have great faith. The first one I see in this passage is this, that great faith requires a relentless pursuing of God. Great faith requires a relentless pursuing of God. 
as I look at this passage, I see persistence in this woman. And what I see her being persistent in is getting to Jesus, getting the help of Christ. Verse 22 says she was crying out to him. And, and Jesus didn't answer at all. She claims him to be Messiah, which many of the Jews aren't even doing at this point, And he doesn't answer her, but the woman doesn't take no for an answer. Verse 23 says that the disciples were getting so tired of her persistence that they just straight up tell Jesus, get her out of here. Send her away. She, she wasn't getting the response of Jesus, so she was starting to yell at the disciples, hey, get your master's attention. Hey, all, all of you guys following him, can you get his attention for me? I need his help. I, I need his healing. I need his power. She was persistent. She was relentless. We see it even more so next because Jesus finally utters words toward her, uh, really to her disciples, but uh, for her to hear. And what he says is, my ministry isn't to you, it's to the Jews. That's what he says. Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, he's showing fidelity to his mission, but by extension, he's going to show that he's available to all who will come to him. But, but this uh, response, it doesn't stop her. She still won't take no for an answer. She comes and she worships him. She, she now comes to him, not on the basis of his messiahship, but on the basis of his lordship. She says, Lord, help me. And even after Jesus's next response, which we'll talk about in just a moment, she still comes back with the request. She was relentless in her pursuit of Jesus and his help. I think that we can learn from this principle. Great faith doesn't, doesn't come because God places before us a huge step of faith to take, Great faith comes by consistently pursuing Jesus each and every day. Uh, I'll word it this way. Big moments, big moments may be where great faith is tested, but, but a personal, everyday, consistent walk with God is where great faith is taught. You see, if, if you're expecting to have great faith to, to take the big steps of faith without developing that great faith by following the little steps we know to take, like Bible reading and prayer, then your expectations are off. I think of Daniel, his, his faith was definitely tested most when the consequence of the lion's den was there, but his faith was developed through his continual pursuit of a personal relationship with God every single day. Abraham, uh, his faith was tested when he was asked to sacrifice Isaac, but he had already uh, had in his heart uh, an everyday following of what God wanted him to do when he left the Ur of the Chaldees. And, and as he followed in the journey, I think of Noah, uh, the, the faith was tested and hey, build an ark because rain's coming, even though you don't, again, evidence of things not seen. Uh, he didn't even know what rain was, but uh, he, he was tested in building that ark but the Bible tells us he was a preacher of righteousness, that, that he uh, had, a, had developed uh, an everyday walk with God. And so I think each and every one of us, in order to have great faith, we need to relentlessly pursue a relationship with God. Get in the word. How to develop faith. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I can't think of a better way to develop faith than to see the examples of faith in Scripture. And, and, and by hearing the gospel, I mean, in Romans chapter 1, I believe it's in verse 17, it tells us that therein, in, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed even from faith to faith, like every faith step we take. And it says, again, the just shall live by faith. Uh, hearing the gospel will motivate us to have faith. And so we need to be in God's word so we can consistently be uh, reminded of the gospel and to see those examples 
of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. A faith that pleases God is one that comes to him, believes him, and diligently seeks him. So great faith, it requires a relentless pursuing of God. But I also notice from this woman that great faith requires a soul dependence upon God. Uh, This woman, she knew she couldn't do anything about her daughter. The disciples couldn't do anything for her. She knew that Jesus was the one who could do something about her daughter's problem. Her dependence wasn't on anything or anyone except for Christ. She was putting her faith in him alone to fix her problem. She was so desperate and so dependent on Jesus alone for help that she just wanted a crumb of his power. Let the Jews have the full meal. Uh, I understand, but even the dogs get the crumbs. Lord, please just give me a crumb. She just wanted a small piece of his power. I think she realized that a crumb of omnipotence is greater than all human ability. It's a little morsel of the all-powerfulness of God. The uh, the, uh, omnipotence is greater than all combined human ability together. He has all power, so I know that he can show just a little bit of it on my behalf. She was completely dependent upon Christ and his power. I think too often that we as Christians, we depend too much upon ourselves, too much uh, uh, upon our pastor, upon the ability of others in in our family or in our church to fulfill and meet our needs. However, no one but Jesus is fully sufficient to meet your needs. No one but God is fully able to fix your problems. Our faith must rest in him and him alone. We must solely and wholly depend upon him. You see, her faith wasn't great because of the amount of faith that was in her or the amount of times that she went to Jesus with her request. No, her faith was great because, uh, it wasn't great because of anything that she did. Her faith was great because of who her faith was placed in. Her dependence was upon Jesus for her problems. Friends, our current, your current situation isn't going to truly be solved by any amount of work that you do. Our country, it's not going to be saved by any working that we do or that any president can do. Our state isn't going to be saved by electing a governor from a different political party. We too often place our dependence upon a a political party or a specific person, but our dependence should solely be upon God. He's the only one who can truly help. He is the all-powerful one. And just a crumb, a small portion of his power is greater than all of our human ability combined. And so we need to trust alone solely depend upon God. So great faith, it requires a relentless pursuit uh, of God. It requires a soul dependence upon God. But I also see here that great faith requires a continued humility before God. I see humility in this woman. It's especially evident in verses 26 and 27. Jesus answers, says, but he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall of their master's table. Jesus says, You wouldn't take the food for the children at the table and give it to the dogs. Now, uh, dogs in Jesus' days, they they weren't pets. They were like the dingo dogs uh, who would live off whatever they could find in the alley or in the street, whatever people dropped. Uh, they, They were unclean and dirty animals. That's why the Jews would derogatorily call the Gentiles dogs. 
They would say they were unclean. They were a nuisance. We don't want them. Uh, So Jesus is using a physical illustration, but he's also saying uh, it wouldn't be right for him to give of himself uh, that came for the Jews to, to the dogs, to the Gentiles. Now, I think it's important to note, I don't believe Jesus was being rude or derogatory in saying a dog. First of all, he was using the common vernacular of the day of the Jews and Gentiles. Everyone there, including the woman, would know he was simply, uh, again, stating he was going to give his attention to the Jews and not the Gentiles by, by differentiating the children, the children of God, and, and the dogs, the Gentiles. And secondly, if you look at the Greek word there, uh, it, it, it seems to be more of an endearing dog, not, not so much the dirty dog. Uh, it was more of like a, a little puppy. But Jesus here, he's, he's validating to the disciples that he is on mission to his people. So three times now, he's rebuffed this woman. But she says, truth. He says, I'm not supposed to give to the, uh, what, what's for the children I'm not supposed to give that to the dogs. She says, truth. I'm not denying what you're saying. She says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs. She's saying, I'm more than willing to understand that I'm a nobody. I know that I don't deserve, but I'm asking for the crumbs that fall. She took the illustration that Jesus was using. She embraced it. She willingly placed herself in it, and then she came back with her request. I don't know about you, but that is, to me, a great humility. Her faith was great because of the humility shown. I see this principle when Jesus says uh, even that the centurion's faith was great. He understood authority and realized what position he was in before Christ. He was humble. It wasn't the big theatrics that, that Jesus was impressed with of her consistently uh, yelling and screaming. It wasn't that. It wasn't the, the big theatrics that he was impressed with. It was her humility. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times we, we see the theatrics. We, we think someone has exhibited great faith if they accomplish something big that everyone sees. But really, often the greatest faith in the eyes of God is the one who nobody sees. For example, some people would look at something like what our family is about to do next week in starting a church as a display of great faith. But I'm convinced that God is more impressed with the great faith of the people right here at this church who are just humbly going before God in prayer, asking that he would bless in Wenatchee and that he would bless Ridgepoint. Man will often uplift and exalt those they see do great things. But the ones that God exalts are those who humble themselves. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Luke 14.11, Jesus said, He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And this woman displayed a continued humility before Jesus. And because of these things, we see our Savior here not only healed the daughter from afar, which is interesting because the two other Gentiles that had that had awesome faith, the centurion, and then also the noblemen both saw their miracles performed from afar. But, but we don't only see Jesus do as she asked in the saving of her demon-possessed daughter. We also see him marvel at her faith. Wow. I'm just, 
whoa. It makes me think, okay, what about my faith? What about our faith? What about your faith? Does God look at the faith that we display and say, wow, that's great faith? Or is he more marveling at us, like his hometown of Nazareth, at our unbelief and our doubt? I heard a preacher say recently that doubt, fear, is really just faith, but it's faith in the wrong thing. It's faith in the wrong what if is how he said it, because what if goes both ways. What, what if God doesn't answer this prayer? What if he does? What if we fail at what we're trying to do for God? What if we don't? Like what if goes both ways? And what, which what if we place our faith in uh, is really dependent on whether it's, it's true and great faith, it's in this, the, our soul dependence is upon God, or if we're putting our faith in the wrong what if, if we're putting our faith in the, the variables that might take place and all of those other things. So what about our faith? Does God look at us and say, that's great faith? Because great faith, it, it does require a relentless pursuit of God. It, it, re, it requires a soul dependence upon God, and it, and it requires a continued humility before God. Each and every day, God, I'm going to pursue after you. Each and every day, God, I don't know what today holds, but I'm dependent solely upon you. And each and every day, God, it's not me that can do anything today. It's you. I'm humble before you each and every day. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.